Good morning, Crossway. Um, it's always a privilege to be able to share God's word with you guys. Um, I had the privilege of uh, going on uh, a sabbatical for a month, and uh, this was my first week back. And so, if you haven't seen me in a while, that's where I was. And uh, you know, when people were asking me <clears throat> how how it was, you know, I, th- I think uh, I think I was talking to. Sue Chu, uh, John Chu's wife, and she helps with the preschool ministry. But uh, I think she explained it to me perfectly, like how I was feeling. It was uh, physically, it was tiring, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally refreshing. And so, even though I have bags under my eyes, I'm ready to come back, and I'm excited <laughs> to serve. And uh, yeah, excited for what God's going to do um, for our church, and uh, you know, as we serve together. So. Uh, Today, uh, we're in John chapter 11, and as Pastor Steve mentioned, you know, as pastors, uh, there are certain moments as you're preparing a sermon, and, you know, you're going through, let's say, you know, the Old Testament, and you're thinking, you know, you're looking at a genealogy, or you're looking at all these different offerings, like the goodwill offering, and the, or the, the free will offering, Thanksgiving offering, the sin offering, and you're thinking, how do I turn this into a sermon, you know, you're, they're showing the measurements of the temple and how many cubits this needs to be and that needs to be, and you're thinking, how do I apply this to our church? How does our church, how, how can they glean from this? And sometimes it's very difficult, and I have to struggle and pray and search, uh, but there's other moments, much like today, where the Word of God is very explicit, it's very clear in terms of what God has for us. The word that he has in John chapter 11 for us. And we learn, uh, especially as we learn of the sad passing of Pastor Sam's father this week, um, and also there was another church member whose uh, mother had passed away, and uh, I don't want to even make light of the passing of Kobe Bryant. You know, some of us, we think of him as this sports figure, and he's a popular figure, and we treat him, put him on a pedestal, but he was the father uh, to his children, and uh, to a uh, husband to his wife, and even his daughter, and so in the midst of all of that that's going on in the last couple of weeks, by God's sovereignty, uh, by his providential planning, like Pastor Steve said, we planned these sermon series months in advance, and we were on the book of John for the last couple months, and here we are. We find ourselves in John chapter 11, and we're talking about this very thing, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. And the story goes on to teach us how and who we need to turn to during these times of tragedy, times of loss, even in times of hardship when we are frustrated We're facing situations that are beyond us, where we feel overwhelmed. It's a word for all of us who live in a world that's marred by sin, who feel the effects of sin, and have to deal with it. How do we respond? Who do we turn to? Now, during these difficult times, we see the different options. Uh, Maybe even people of the world would take. Uh, A couple of options are we seek the comfort of our friends, or professional counselors to lend a helping ear where we can share things and get things off our chest and they can be a supportive, uh, an act of support for us. 
or we can turn to doctors who prescribe medicine for us and give us different ways to deal with pain. We might feel uh, not as hurt or anxious in different types of situations or destructive ways, right, where people turn to drugs or sex or different addictions or you might even just numb yourself with just social media and just say, oh, this is, I just don't want to think about anything to disconnect us from reality. But what about us as believers? What are our options? You know, of course, all those things are available and accessible to us, but when we face tragedy, when we face hardship and trials and sorrow and loss and and a time of grieving, where do we turn? Or more importantly, who do we turn to? What we see is that in John chapter 11, Jesus teaches us that in these times of trial, he calls us to turn to him, to find refuge and peace and encouragement, especially in these times when we're weak. Now, why is Jesus the answer? Right? This story of Lazarus is going to teach us two reasons why Jesus is the answer. He is the one that we need to turn to in times of grief, in times of loss, in times of sorrow, when we're mourning when we're facing a difficult time. The first reason why Jesus is the true answer is because in our trials, Jesus weeps with us. Jesus weeps with us. Very simple. When Jesus approaches the tomb, the tomb of Lazarus, he's already been dead for four days, and he goes and he sees the Jews who are weeping. He sees Martha and Mary who, who are uh, weeping as well. And this is what he says. In chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then in verse 35, the famous two words, Jesus wept. It says that he was greatly troubled. He was distressed. He saw how much pain his people were going through. He was greatly troubled. And he wept. He sat with them. He was around them. He was in their pain, in their distress, in their grief. And he wept with them. Now this is so powerful because what we see is that, you know, obviously Jesus later on, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he knows that he's going to do this. And he has the power to just snap his fingers and be like, yeah, don't worry about it, I got it, right? But yet he decides to sit with his people and to weep with them and to grieve with them and to mourn with them. Even though Jesus knows that he can overcome all of our trials, he doesn't just say, buck up, I'm going to take care of it, right? It's not that big of a deal, you know? I, don't worry, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Or he doesn't just give the Christian answers where he says, oh, man, you know, well, I'll be praying for you. You know, oh, man, give glory to God. You know, God has a purpose. He doesn't just give these Christianese answers, but no, he's in the mess with us. He's in the broken relationships. He's in the hard circumstances. He's in the grieving. He's with us. In fact, this is one of the most important reasons why Jesus came down from heaven. Is that so he can, he can be here with us. In Hebrews 4.14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time of need. This is the humanity of Jesus. That he would come from heaven down into the form of a child to be raised and to grow up and even be tempted as we are yet without sin and to live this life so that he can relate to us, so that he can experience the pain, so that he can understand the loss and the grieving and the mourning, the suffering that we might endure in our lives. He came as a human so that he can bear those things for us, to understand and to sit with us. He's not like the Greek and Roman mythology, those gods where they would sit up high in the heavens and they would laugh at the trouble of the people. In fact, sometimes they would instigate certain things so that they can get the people in more pain and more suffering. That's not who our God is. He sympathizes with us. He is not a high priest who is high up, in, but he comes down. He sympathizes with us. He holds us and encourages us. He strengthens us. He walks with us. And he's compassionate with us because he loves us. He sits with our pain. He sits with us in our pain, not because the Father in heaven is forcing him to, but because he wants to, because he loves you and I. In verse 3 in chapter 11, it says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The one you love is ill. Lazarus, the one you love, he's sick. And then in chapter 11, verse 7, Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again, where Lazarus was. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? He had just left Judea because the Jews were going to kill him. And yet because of his overwhelming love for Lazarus, he says, let's go. I need to go and see Lazarus. I need to go there and heal Lazarus. He was willing to go at the, at the cost of his own life. And then in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. And as he was weeping in verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved them. See how much Jesus loved his people. You know, when you and I face trials, there are moments when you and I will feel isolated, alone, possibly even abandoned. We might feel discouraged or angry or frustrated with what's going on. Jesus is here with us, and he sits with us, experiences the pain the hurt with us. He sympathizes with us. That is why in those moments we need to turn to him. We need to go to him. But the reason why Jesus is the answer to our trials is not merely because he sits with us in our pain or because he experiences life as we would. We turn to him because he is God. So if Jesus weeping showed the humanity of Jesus, Jesus now showing his power in raising Lazarus from the dead 
will reveal his deity, will reveal that he himself is God. And the reason why we should turn to him during these times is because God himself, Jesus himself, has the power to overcome death. And if he has the power to overcome death, he has the power to overcome all obstacles, all hardships, all trials that you and I might be facing. You see, Jesus is not merely a counselor or a friend that lends an ear to you and sympathizes with you but has no power. He is the sovereign, all-powerful, omnipotent God who not only sits with you in your pain but has the power to overcome all obstacles, all hardships, all difficulties that we might experience. Let's read the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave starting in verse 38 together. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now I want you to imagine with me for one moment. Imagine that you were in that crowd. You knew Lazarus. He was one of your friends. You're weeping. You're crying. Jesus shows up four days after he's passed. And you're thinking, what is he going to do? Jesus tells the men to lift a stone. Martha says, he's been dead for a while. He's going to have a little stench on him. Uh, and Jesus says, open, open the grave. Open the tomb. And he calls out for Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus comes out. And he's not coming out, you know, partially healed. He's not coming out barely alive. He's healed. He's fully healed. He's risen from death to life. To the point where he's, uh, they tell him, unbind him and let him go. There's no more need to treat him. And at that point, if you're watching this, and you've just witnessed Jesus raise someone from death to life, how can you not entrust your entire life to him, right? All of the problems that you might have, all the things that you're going through, the issues. If God could raise someone from the dead, how can we not entrust him with all of our issues, all of our hardships? They're nothing when it compares to raising someone from the grave. How can we not entrust our lives to him if he can raise someone from the grave. And this brings up an interesting point because I think even in society today, especially lately, you know, what are the things that we turn to almost as an act of seeking salvation, right? Uh, for example, you know, a lot of times nowadays we turn to politics. You know, we say, you know, if we just elect this president or if we can just pass this policy, then my life will be better or America will be better or Things will be greater if we can just do things better, right? If, if the government would just get their act straight, right? And can they make your life better? Yeah. Yeah, they can. But 
can they bring you back from the dead? No. Or your spouse and your children, you think, man, if my spouse just listened to everything I said, and if my children just obeyed, my life would be so much better. And I would be so fulfilled if I just, everything was done the way I wanted it. Now, would you be? Maybe. But can your spouse or your children bring you back from the dead? Or if you had a rich uncle that gave you a bunch of money, and you're thinking, man, if I just had that rich uncle that gave me money and I could just live this comfortable life, would you be able to live a comfortable life? Yeah. But he can't raise you from the dead. There's nothing in this world that can bring you back from the dead. There's no one, no thing, not, not science, uh, not your retirement plan. There's nothing in this life that can bring you back from the dead except Jesus Christ alone. And that's who we have access to. And he says to come to me. Come to me because I have that type of power. When you have things that are weighing down your heart, stressing you out, making you feel depressed, and you're in a time of mourning, and you're anxious or frustrated, he says, turn to me, and I can overcome these things. Now, these two points bring up an interesting thought. Because Jesus, what we said was we could turn to Jesus because he weeps with us. He's compassionate. He sits with us in our pain. And then we said, secondly, that he has the power to overcome our pain and hardships, right? Now, those two combined, as we hear this, you might be thinking, well, but I'm still experiencing hardship. You know, I've turned to Jesus before, and there are times where I'm still going through things. You know, I've been going through this thing for a week, or a year, or 10 years, or 50, 20, 30 years. And I've been going through the same hardship, and yet, Jesus has not overcome this hardship or this trial for me. What's going on? I thought Jesus was compassionate. I thought he sits with us, and he comforts us, and I thought he can overcome it. And if he knows that I need this difficult trial to be relieved of, why doesn't he do it? It's a matter of timing. This is something that Martha struggled with, too. Because Martha, when, he, when she sees Jesus, she says this in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When word got to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, Jesus made his way down. But what happens? Lazarus died before Jesus could get there. And so Martha's saying, Jesus, if you had just gotten here a little earlier, if you, had just, if you hadn't left, my brother would not have died. My trial, my hardship would have been relieved if you were just here. But why? Why did Jesus wait? Because what's interesting is that Jesus is very intentional about this. In verse 6, he says, So when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Word got to him that Lazarus was ill, and instead of going immediately to go and heal Lazarus, he sits back. He waits two days before even making the trip there. Why does he wait? Why doesn't he just go heal Lazarus and make it all done and make it finished? Why does he wait two days? He's very intentional about this. 
the purpose of Jesus and the purpose of why he allows us to sit in our trials and our hardships and why he allowed Martha and Mary to sit in their trial and hardship is because this, it's for the glory of God. It's for God to receive the glory. Let me explain. In verse 4 it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. He's talking about the eternal death. Because he does raise Jesus, or he does raise Lazarus from the temporary death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He says, Lazarus' death, the reason why he's not healed from his illness, is for the glory of God. So that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, when you hear this, some of you who have great faith, you might think, yeah, that's all I need to hear. It's for the glory of God. God has a greater purpose for this. So no matter what I'm going through, that's all I need to hear. But there's some of us that might even feel like, man, that just kind of sounds like a cop-out answer, right? Like a general blanket statement that you put on any hardship and you just say, well, you know, you'll get through it. You know, God has a plan. You know, give God the glory. It's for God's glory. It almost feels like that sometimes. But what we see in this passage is that there's a very specific reason why and how God receives the glory. God receives the glory in our trials in a very specific way here in verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. Let us go to him. The purpose is this. He says, I'm glad that I wasn't there to heal him. Because you have all seen the miracle that I've done of healings. You know, you, I've done it before in the past chapters. But the raising of Lazarus from the grave, the purpose of this is that you may believe. So that you would know who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God. And he says, God's going to receive the glory when I present the miracle raise Lazarus from the grave, and the Jews and Mary and Martha and all around, they see this miracle, this amazing miracle, and they praise God and say, truly, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Truly, Jesus, you are the healer. Truly, Jesus, you are God. And that's when God will get the glory. You see, the main goal was not to raise Lazarus from the grave. Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave, that wasn't his primary purpose, primary intention. Because think about it. Lazarus, after he rises from the grave, he will eventually die, right? I mean, the average lifespan of a Jewish person at the time was about 55. Uh, it's closer to mid-30s if you count infant mortality rates and all that. But if you made it past uh, infancy, you lived up to about 55. But let's be generous. Let's say he lived till 70, 80, 90, right? He had 30, 40 more years of life. But he still died. And you see, so Jesus' main purpose, his goal, was not to solve this 30-year uh, difficulty and trial for Lazarus. He wasn't doing it just so that Lazarus would be able to live 30, 40 more years. And in the same way, he doesn't just solve our hardships and trials so that 
we would enjoy life for 30, 40 more years. He doesn't give us more wealth so that we would enjoy life for 30, 40 more years or allow our children and spouse and all those things to work perfectly so that we can live a fulfilled or satisfying life for 30, 40 more years. It's just 30, 40 more years. He has something greater in mind. He has an eternal perspective in mind. Because what he sees, what Jesus sees, is that there is an eternal issue. There's an eternal trial, an eternal hardship that all of us are going to face after our death because of our sinfulness, because of our sin. And so Jesus, when he heals Lazarus, his goal is not just to heal Lazarus, but it's to heal everyone that is watching that miracle of the eternal problem. The eternal problem of wrath and judgment and eternal death. That's what he's trying to save uh, the people that are watching and all of us from. His goal is not just to show you this great miracle so that he can relieve you for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 more years. That's so uh, short compared to the eternal perspective that he has for us. This is the primary reason for why Jesus came back. He risks his life, possibly even being stoned, raises Lazarus from the grave so that he can provide for us the greatest reward greatest reward, not of just 34 30, 40 more years of great life, but an eternity with him. Eternity. So that even in our death, Jesus will overcome that death. Through his death and resurrection, right? So the death of Lazarus was pointing to something greater. Ultimately, it was pointing to Jesus' death and resurrection. When he would solve that eternal problem of our sinfulness, requiring of a sacrifice, a substitute for our sins. The death and resurrection of Lazarus is not something just for us to be rejoicing of itself, but it's to point to Jesus, to worship Jesus, to thank Jesus, to glorify Jesus for his ultimate work of his death and resurrection for our sin, to pay our eternal wrath. And that's why I want to finish with uh, this last verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, where the Apostle Paul understands the eternal perspective that God has for us. And he says that there is no fear in death any longer because of what Christ has done. He says this, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to just come before you. and We want to recognize that even in our trials, in our hardships, God, even in times when we are mourning or grieving the loss of a loved one or a broken relationship, if there's anything that we might be going through, 
Lord, thank you that you are near, that you are here with us, and that you have uh, an eternal plan for us, God. And so may we rest in that, may we even rejoice in that, and may we trust you, God, all the days of our lives. God. We thank you, and we love you in Jesus' name and pray. Amen.